Well, we're, we're preaching through the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, and so if you would turn, if you will, over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is where we're going to be, and we're going to be a lot. Also, you may put your finger there, and we're going to Psalms 32 is where we will be, and so just uh, uh, different places in, the, in scriptures. Uh, let me just mention this to you because I think it's so important. I tell you, things are moving at such a fast pace in the day and time that we live in that things that we, we saw out in when we studied uh, eschatology and we studied about the second coming of Jesus and we look and we see things out here that are happening. Well, they're no longer out here. They're right in front of us. And it, I, would, I would highly recommend that you go to Jan Mar, uh, Arkell's uh, website and you, you see the video that she's done on digital IDs. This has already happened in, in Europe. Uh, they show a, a guy that goes into a grocery store just to buy food. He could not get any food because he did not have one of these digital IDs. This is not something they voted on. It's not something they decided to do. It was just done. And uh, so, and I've told you before when we've talked about this World Economic Forum, what they wanted. Well, they were getting their way in a lot of ways. And I forget how many countries in Europe and also in Indonesia and places like this, this is already done. You cannot buy a car. You can't get on an airplane. You can't get anywhere. You can't do anything unless you have one of those digital IDs. And who's, who's the digital ID, who's, who's, who's behind it pushing it? It's not the government, it's the World Health Organization. And, you know, uh, and our uh, Vice President, if you want, Camilla Harris, this past week was given a speech, and in her speech, uh, one of the things she was talking about, all, she was really talking about electric cars and all the other things that's happening and how great and how wonderful all that's going to be. And she talked about all the things that they're going to try to do. And one of the things she talked about they're going to try to do, which she, they later came out and said, oh, this was a mistake, this was a slip of the tongue. She was reading off a teleprompter. And what she said was, reduce population. That goes right back to the World Health Organization. I'm telling you, folks, I don't know, man. I, I just believe the Lord is getting ready to come, and, and uh, boy, get ready. If you're not ready, you better get ready because <laughs> he's fixing to come. But this stuff is just unbelievable. And if they get this passed, uh, and, you know, Biden, I, we brought a thing in here, I don't know how many months ago, how that Biden was wanting to just go to this World Health Organization. He tried to do this last year to put us in this. In other words, the United States would lose their sovereignty. It would be turned over to the World Health Organization. And the only thing that stopped it, it was not the United States that stopped it. It was, the, it was the, um, some of the countries in Africa that actually stopped it last year. So if this thing goes to place, a lot of changes are going to be. A lot of changes. Now, do, do I believe that this is uh, the mark of the beast? No, not necessarily. I don't believe that. But let me just say this to you. What's it leading up to? It's the groundwork for that. That's what's happening. And 
You know, this is the only book in the world that tells you what the future holds. And it's already laid out everything in here for what, what's, what's happening. And we're seeing it right before our eyes. We are that Benjamin generation. I believe that with all my heart and soul. And, you know, we read a lot of times, where, you know, like in Esther where it says such a time as this. And people were put, and I've heard people say, boy, I'd like to be living in the days of uh, uh, when Jesus walked the sea of uh, uh, Jerusalem and walked the streets of Galilee and things like that. But let me tell you something. Uh, uh, we're in a day, we've been picked out to live in this last generation. And so God has a purpose for your life. And we got to get busy about his purpose, what he wants us to do. Try to win as many people as we possibly can. Well, we were reading through uh, 1 Corinthians, and we are now up to verses 9 through 12. 9 through 12 in the 6th chapter of, of Corinth. If you remember Corinthians, if you remember Paul had, had uh, established this church, he spent a year and a half establishing this church. He then left there after that year and a half, and he went to Ephesus. In Ephesus, he was there three and a half years. But while he was in Ephesus, uh, one, of the members, uh, one of the members that starts with a C had contacted him and told him simply, uh, Chloe, C-H-L-O-E, apostrophe S, had contacted him and said, we got some problems over here. That there's things happening in the church that should not be. And one of the things that was happening, if you'll remember, was one man was living with his stepmother and having relations with her. And Paul really was on them big time because not only was he said, you need to judge him, which a lot of people in the world say, well, we're not supposed to judge. Well, that, that's not true. And if you read the book of uh, uh, Verse in chapter 5 of 1 John, it says, If you see your brother sin a sin and it's not unto death, you're to go to him and say to him, Why are you acting the way you are? You know, that, and Jesus, when Jesus, when in the 7th chapter of Matthew, when Jesus said, Judge not that you be not judged, he was not telling us to go to somebody that's doing something wrong and try to help him and correct them. He wasn't saying that we might be able to save their soul. And that's what Paul was talking about them. He was saying simply that we needed to take, they needed to take this brother and kick him out of the church. But he was on the church also from the standpoint, from a standpoint that they had, uh, uh, on, on the standpoint that they had, uh, yeah. okay. Well, I, don't know. I thought it was really going out. Okay, anyway. but he, church because they had just gone on like everything. They had not judged him, and so here we go. So Paul writes now in the sixth chapter, and listen to what he says, verse nine. He says, "Do you not know?" That the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. And all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful, and all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Let's pray. Well, Father, I, I thank you for the opportunity we have tonight. And I ask you, Father, just to be with us, guide and direct everything that we say and do. 
And Lord, may it be a, a help to us as a church, as a whole, as a body, and as, as individuals. So Father, I pr simply pray, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, for you're our strength, you're our redemption, you're everything, Father. And we can't do this without you. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Paul now begins to remind the church at Corinth that who they, who they are. I used to tell kids all the time, I said, if you heard that the Queen of England was down here at the Playhouse pool room shooting eight ball, would you believe it? You say, well, no, I wouldn't believe that. Why? Because that would be totally out of character for her. That would not be something that could happen. That would be totally out of character. Well, God has told us simply as a result of that, that, that God has called us to himself and he set them apart from the world and from darkness to light. He's done all this in our life. So we ought to be those people in the world that act different than other people. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 says, Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch the unclean thing and I will receive you. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says this, Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from the aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers. But listen to this, verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of the Lamb, without blemish and without spot. Did you notice how that the Apostle Paul opens up? He said, did you not know? And Peter says the same thing. He said, knowing that. In other words, we've been told... If we've read the Bible, we know what we ought to be doing to, to a great extent. Or in other words, this was something that they were not hearing for the first time. No, they'd been taught. They had been explained this. They'd said under no telling how many teaching of Paul or other people, of Apollos or different ones, they, they were doing that. But, uh, but no, they had been taught that this that had begun to drift from the teachings of the Bible. Bible tells me over in Hebrews chapter 2, it talks about those people that, and I still believe it was the Apostle Paul that wrote the book of Hebrews. Some people don't, but I do, because it's too much like him. But he tells them there were two things that the people in, in Hebrews were starting to do. One was they were drifting, and the other one was they were disobeying. What does it mean to drift? Well, their Bible study, all of a sudden they, they, didn't, they didn't have a real... Strong Bible study. They weren't, uh, you know, they, the Word of God began to be foreign to them. They, their prayer life began to weaken. Their, their church attendance was, uh, was beginning to be sporadic and other things. And they, they didn't dare, when somebody said something or did something, they didn't dare share the gospel with anybody. And so they begin to drift. You know, it doesn't happen all at once. It just happens just a little bit at a time until the next thing you know, you're away and you're away from the Lord, and, and then when that happens, that's why the, the, the Peter uh, writes in his word that, this is, that the, the devil is like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Who's, who are those people he can devour? Those people are not in the word. Those people are not praying like they should. Those people that do not have a dependence on the Lord, that's who he seeks out. And all of a sudden you hear about somebody doing something that you thought, well, Lord, they, how in the world did they ever do that? It's because our heart is deceitful. Or any one of us are capable of doing those things. That's why we need to stay with the Lord. I cannot live the Christian. I could not save myself. I had to come to Jesus in order to be saved. But I cannot live this thing. I just can't. 
I need, I need Christ in my life. I, I've got to depend upon him. If I'm going to live the life, I'm secure in Jesus, yes. I'm secure in him. The Bible, you know, and I, you know, you all get tired of some of the quotations I've got, but I remind you, it's John 6, 37. All that my Father gives me, will he that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. And Jesus won't. He won't get rid of you. He won't throw you away. He may beat you half to death in the process. Because whom the Lord loves, he chastises. But he won't, he won't get rid of you. And so they, they begin to drift. And when God saves us, he, he gives us what's called positional sanctification. We were born into the kingdom of God. I was born to a man by the name of Belvin Cruz. I asked Dad, I said, Dad, where in the world did we get that name Belvin from? He said, well, there's a guy who walked fence post. I said, I got my name from some guy that walked the fence post. That's what he said. But my dad, no, of course, he didn't care because he didn't use that. He, everybody called him Slick. So I was Slick Cruz's son, and no matter what I did, I would always be Slick Cruz's son. It's the same thing for you with your dad. You know, one, that's, that's what we call positional sanctification, where we're born into the kingdom of God, and we became his child. God the Father did this through Christ and his finished work on Calvary, and we became a child of God. And how do we do that? Because Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself, for it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3, 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy he saved us. The Lord did this. He called us and we answered by trusting in Jesus Christ and we're secure in him. The Bible even says that in, in Philippians 1, 7 where it says that he who hath begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm, I'm, I'm persuaded that that which I've committed unto him is able to keep against that day is what he said. Now, and it's interesting to me that when I look at this stuff, one of the things that really blows me away is how much God loves you. See, when I read, when I read that la those last verses in, in uh, chapter, chapter 8 of Romans, when God says this to you, he says simply, he said, and all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. And by the way, when it says we're more than conquerors, it is, it is a what he's talking about here, he's talking about that it is in the future tense. What does it mean? That, that, we, that we're more than conquerors. We have been more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors and will continue to be more than conquerors. That's the same thing when 1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And then it says this, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And the word cleanses there means he has cleansed us, he is cleansing us, and he will continue to cleanse us. You know, it's, it, it blows me away when I look at, when I look at Genesis 15. Uh, and you can just go to, go to verse 17. Uh, if you don't care there, Brandon. 15, 17. Because God made a covenant with Abraham. Abraham believed God and he was trusted God. But when he was making this covenant, he tells Abraham to take these animals and he says, split them in half. And, and except for the birds, he didn't split them in half, but all the other, a little calf and everything else, he split them in half, and he lined them up because this was what men would do in that day, and they're making a covenant. And then both men would, they would, they would make these, these animals up, and they would walk through it. They would walk through it, and, and at the end of it, if they didn't, the covenant was sealed, and if one of them broke it, the other one had the right to actually have that person killed. So God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you, Abraham. And he tells him to take these animals. He does this. 
But he also tells him, I think, is it verse 11 there? I'm not really sure. Let me see. Uh, verse 11. But what happened to Abraham? Abraham goes to sleep. He, well, yeah, go to, when the vultures came down the carcass, Abraham drove them away. Look at verse 12. Look at, is it 12? Uh, uh, yeah, okay. Look at this. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. Behold, honor and great darkness fell upon him. Well, what does that mean? Abraham went to sleep. So when they made the covenant, now go back to 17. Uh, when he made the covenant, it said, and it came to pass, when the sun went down, it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven which represented God and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. And God himself passed through those pieces. Where was Abraham? He's sleeping. Well, you see what I'm saying to you? God loves you so much. He made a covenant with Abraham. The covenant, Abraham's over here sleeping. God went ahead and made the covenant. Now, go over to the book of Hebrews chapter 13. Oh, excuse me, about Hebrews 6. Go to Hebrews 6. And look what it says. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. In other words, what's he saying? He said, I couldn't find anybody to swear to because other people don't keep their word. They don't do what I ask them to do. So he says, "Why? who am I going to swear by? He swore by himself. Now look at, start with verse 17. And God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise of the immutability. And what's the word immutability mean? It means he doesn't change. He's immutable. Immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath, verse 18, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, God will never lie, that's what Titus 1 verse 2 says, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. And in verse 19, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul. This can be an anchor of your soul, but when you're going through something to hang on to, both sure and steadfast which enters the presence behind the veil. So he says, I have, I have, he says, by two immutable things, what are the two immutable things? God and God. That's it. He wasn't going, he wasn't going to take a chance. And so this whole covenant is sealed. And that's how much God loves you and wants you to be in heaven with him someday. That he would do that. And that's positional sanctification. But the greatest thing of all, what is it so great about, is that God gave his only begotten son, his own son. And, and Paul goes on to say in Romans, he says, what manner of man, what manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God? It tells us that if God gave his son, what, what will he withhold from us? Nothing. But there's also, but not only is there positional sanctification, that once we become God, then there comes practical sanctification. And that is the relationship that we have with God as his child. In other words, how are we to live? I know a lot of kids, that, a lot of sons or daughters, whoever, that have no relationship, even though they, they're, that's their father, that's their child, yeah, but they have no relationship. It's the same thing with a lot of Christians. They've come to God, they've asked Him to save them, but boy, their relationship's really shaky here. They have with God and His child. How, you know, how we live our life 
it does not save us because the Bible we just read, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, not by works of righteousness, or Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we've done, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, not by works, but by the same token, it doesn't save us, but here's what it does. It demonstrates whether or not you're saved or not. Or in other words, I'm saved by the grace of God, but, Paul, but there, ought to be, you know, there ought to be some evidence there. The, the, the Bible even teaches us that. It, say, it simply says that, that uh, it says the grace of God has appeared unto all men teaching us to live godly. If you know, if you if you can go out and sin and sin and sin and sin and sin, and it, it doesn't bother you, you you never got. You know, the chances are you didn't have an experience with the Lord in the first place. So it doesn't save us, but that that practical uh, sanctification demonstrates whether God has done a work in our life. And, and in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, what does it say? It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. There's a difference. We must mature as we walk with him as it begins to happen. And, and, you know, and the Bible says that if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. So in chapter 6, Paul opens up with a profound statement. And here's what he says. He says, do you not know... That the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what he says. And he, then he lists ten sins that will keep you out of heaven. One of those sins that keeps you out of heaven was, was homosexuality. Is there one sin that's greater than another sin? No. There's not. But it'll still keep you out of heaven. And one of those, it says sodomy. What's sodomy mean? It, it, it means this. Sodomy means simply that that's, that's someone, um, uh, someone who has, or sodomites are those who submit to homosexual behavior. So, you know, I don't know, I, you know, they, they're telling me, oh, no, it's all right, and there's a lot of Christians now, they're buying into this stuff. But I want to tell you something, six times in the Bible, six times. It says that's a sin. It says it's a sin. Now, Paul then lists the ten sins that will keep you out of heaven. You know, and no one sin is greater than another. James said this, so he said, if you try to keep the whole law and you break it in one point, you're guilty of the entire law. So if you try to put your sin, and I hear people come to me all the time, and they'll say, well, I try to live by the Ten Commandments. When you ask them whether or not they're saved, I try to live by the Ten Commandments. Well, how's that working out for you? Or they'll say, I live by the, the Sermon on the Mount. Well, the Sermon on the Mount is the Ten Commandments on steroids. Because Jesus said that if you, you know, the, the Ten Commandments say you're not to commit adultery. The, 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 the Sermon on the Mount says if you look at a woman to lust after her, you look, you lust, then you're the same thing as guilty. So just don't look. You've got to learn how to bounce your eyes. And then he also says a murderer, he says, you know, the Bible says we're not supposed to take another life or we're not, thou shalt not kill. But Jesus said if we're angry with somebody, we're the same. So he reinforces the law. 
Jesus said one time, he said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but the law through me, that, that through me the people might be saved. To fulfill it, he came to fulfill it. So everything, and what, so what happens to a person, we can't keep the law, but the good news is that when a person comes to Jesus and they absolutely trust in him, then Christ applies his blood to them, and as a result of that, everything the law demands has been fulfilled in that person. You know, and because, you know, the, the verse of Scripture over in the book of uh, Psalms where it asks the question, it, it asks the question, Lord, is it 15? No, it's not 15. What is it? Um, ah, boy. Uh, I wish I could remember things. That's, no wonder I'm in the wrong book. In that book of temptations I told you about last Sunday, I made a mistake there too. Um, so, uh, well, anyway, it, it, uh, he's asking, they're asking the question, and what they're asking, they're asking a question, Lord, um, here, here we go. Oh, look, it is 15. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle and who may dwell in your holy hill? He said, he, Lord, who gets to go home with you? Then you come to verse 2, chapter 15, Psalm verse 2. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth. That's who gets to go home with the Lord. And the word there really in the Hebrew is supposed to be blameless. So what does that mean? That means you look at this person's life, you're going to see they screwed up, they screwed up. Here's a sin, here's a sin, here's a sin. But here's what you see. You see it's all under the blood of Jesus. And when it's under the blood of Jesus, we absolutely have been forgiven because... 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. No, it doesn't say that. It says he, I'm sorry, 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So when I look at this, but I want you to notice that though he lists these sins here, but and he lists that none of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. But now look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, and such were some of you. Well, how, how, what happened to these people? But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our living God. God doesn't want you to sin because he knows what Satan will do with it. He'll, he'll try to bring it up. He's the accuser of the brethren. He tries to keep it in front. That's why I think David said in Psalms 51, my sin is ever before me. And it is. If you've messed up, if you've done something you shouldn't do, but so what do I got to do in order to combat that? I've got to come to Christ, and I've got to let his blood, I've got to remember who I am in Jesus Christ. That's why we read that thing every Sunday morning down here. That will combat that. That will take that away because you now have the mind of Christ. But notice in verse 11, that, that thank God for verse 11, and such were some of you. But what's that about? Now, now turn with me, if you will, over to Psalms 32. Look, look what this says. Psalms 32, starting with verse 1. It said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And look at verse 2. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. What does that mean? Okay, you know, it, so does that mean... That this man has never sinned. He's never done anything wrong. He doesn't impute iniquity to him. Now, why would God impute iniquity to somebody or say that they're a sinner if they've never sinned? No, it's not talking about that guy. It's talking about a guy that's screwed up. It's talking about a guy that's sinned. 
that he doesn't impute. Even though he sinned, God, he said that man is blessed because God doesn't hold him accountable for it. He, he, uh, he, he does not impute iniquity to that point. And whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, what's he saying? He's saying because it's been put under the blood of Jesus. Now, we go on, we go on to verse 3. This is, listen, and this is a problem a lot of people have. It says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all day long. In other words, what does it say? It simply, it says this. When it says that, it says that as a, as a result of that, uh, you know, it, it says as a result of that in verse, verse, uh, uh, you know, verse 3, it affected my health. You know, and it's, he says, I... You know, it, it affected my health in such a way. My bones grew old. It affected my health. I heard of a guy one time that, that somebody, uh, that his, uh, his wife, he was always depressed and everything, and his wife went to him and said, uh, well, I'm going to send you to the doctor. Send him to the doctor, and the doctor realized he put him on all kinds of medication and things, and that didn't work. So the next thing in, they got him going to a psychiatrist. And I'm not saying you shouldn't go to a psychiatrist or a, or a, a you know, I would prefer that you go to a Christian counselor. Why? Because if a person goes to a natural man, a man that doesn't know Jesus or doesn't know the Holy Spirit, he doesn't avail himself of the higher and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You don't know the number of times I've been sent with somebody and the Holy Spirit give you something to say, and that person can't figure out how you knew that. Well, I didn't know that. Holy Spirit revealed that to me. And he does the same thing in counseling situations. And so this guy, he goes to the doctor, and the doctor sends him to a psychiatrist. Now, what's, you know, the only problem with that is all they can do is just rearrange things. What do you mean? I mean, they can take the guilt or other things, and they can move it over here to something else. Well, the reason you did this is because your mother, uh, you know, did something to you. It wouldn't feed you their chili when you wanted to or whatever. You know, we blame it on everybody else. But the truth, but the, truth the matter is, here's what, you know, what it really was. This guy went, and so they started giving him shock treatments. Uh, that didn't work. Next thing you know, he's in, a, he's in a, someplace like Eastern State, and they're working with him. Well, finally, this counselor gets to the bottom of this. And what was the bottom of this? The bottom was it. This guy, the company he had been working for, he was embezzling money. That's what sin does to you. It ta- and so what does it say in 32? It says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not appear iniquity. But in verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. And then verse 4, it says, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. If you belong to Jesus, I'm going to tell you, God's hand's going to be on. No vitality, no strength, didn't feel energized. Just pooped all the time. <laughs> you know, and... The- and, and, you know, you know in, in verses 1 and 2, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Whose, uh, and let me just read, let me read this to you in a, in a New Living Translation because here's why it says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. But he goes on to say, but when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. I just didn't feel right. No rest. Couldn't sleep at night. Do you feel energy? But then look what it says in 3 and 4. It says, when, you know, it says I just don't. And you get to a place that people, people say, well, I just don't care. 
and, and I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, having, I'm battling this. Well, let me tell you something. Who moved? The Lord hadn't moved. Listen, if you're coming here, if you're coming to this church because of me, because of the singing, because of teaching, because anything else, and those are all good things to come to church for, but listen, your main objective here is to be one thing, and that is that you find the Lord here. He don't move. He will never let you down. That's what you're looking for. So if I get to the place where I just don't feel, well, I don't, I don't know what's wrong with you, whatever, it's because you move from the Lord. So this is why I tell you, until you know who you are in Christ, that the Lord loves you, that you know that you're forgiven, you will not accomplish anything for the kingdom of God. Remember this. When my performance, remember we say this every Sunday morning, when my performance reflects my new identity in Christ, that reflection is dynamically unique. When my performance reflects my new identity, when I know who I am in Christ and I do it, when I'm giving, when I'm giving the, the Lord first place in my life and everything is under the blood of Jesus, there is not one sin that I'm regarding. And that's what God says in 66, 18, when he says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. Does, does it say I'm lost again? No, it doesn't say that. God's saying, we're not taking another step until you take care of this. And some of us know something God's already told us to take care of. And we haven't taken care of it. Was it going to somebody and saying, will you forgive me? Was, it's the bill I haven't paid. And I told somebody I was going to pay. It was something that I was going to do, but I didn't do it. And it just haunts me. It's back there. And Satan loves it if you do stuff like that because he'll bring it up and he'll bring it up and he'll bring it up until you'll be miserable. So if I, but look at verse 5. Verse 5 and 32. Look what he says. I acknowledge my sin to you. And notice who he acknowledged it to. He said it to the Lord. I believe with all my heart and soul, if Judas had waited and gone to Jesus, he would have been forgiven. But he didn't do that. He went, he repented. He threw the money back down and I want whatever he repented, but he didn't go to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. And so it says here in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Did you notice something about all three, about that, that one verse? That there's three types of wrongdoing. Three types. And so what he says is, he says simply this, he says, the, he says, first off, and he said, I acknowledge my sin to you, my iniquity. And, and he talks about transgression. This is where we get our word trespass from, to cross over. So Romans 4.15, because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. So in other words, if you cross over, break the law, then that's what he's talking about. It's transgression. When he talks about when he talks about sin, it means the simple sin. What is sin? Here it is. Simply the failure to love God the way it should be. And Romans fourteen twenty three says, "But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not of faith is sin." Well, we could really rack that one up. Because what do we do that's not a faith? That we don't trust him. We don't walk with him. And then 4.17, he talks about iniquity. 
It has to do with that, what we're born into sin, our nature, our flesh that causes sin. That's the problem. See, that's the problem that Joel Osteen, when he tells people that he's, oh, people already know they're, they, they're sinners. No, they don't. They don't see their self the way God does. And so as a result of that, James says, therefore to him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it's sin. And so uh, iniquity has to do with that born into sin, our nature, our flesh that causes us to sin. So when I, when I read something like, when I read something like uh, uh, Romans 7, and, and listen, listen what Paul says about that. He says this in 17. He says, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. 720. He says, now if I do what I will to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He says the same thing. Romans 7, 23, Paul says, but I see another law in my members warring against the flaw of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. 718 says this. It says, for I know that is in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not, I do not find. 724, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We're born into sin. And so 7, 5, and 6, it, it, tells, us, it tells us this. He, it says simply that says, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were which were aroused by the new law at work in our members of bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held, so by so should she serve the newness of the Spirit and not by the oldness of the letter. What's it saying to us? This is why we got to be born again. we got to have, it, it doesn't take away the old nature, but he gives us the Spirit to combat it. Every person is a sinner. But when a person does what 32.5 says, that I, confess their sins and says do I acknowledge my sin to you and admits who they are what they've done then it says you forgave you forgave the iniquity of my sin in other words 1 Corinthians 6 11 when it says such were some of you but you're washed you're sanctified you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and the spirit of our God you've been you've been washed and so the apostle Paul warning Christians who have come to Christ but some who used to have have those sinful patterns in their life, all those ten sins, before they were ever saved, but were beginning to fall back into those sinful patterns of sin again and needed, reminding that if they went all the way back in to live as they used to live, they were not going to inherit salvation. In other words, you begin to doubt whether or not they ever were saved. Why? Because it would indicate they may have never been saved in the first place. And so in 1 Corinthians verse 11... The word wash refers to a new life through the spiritual cleansing. That's what he did. He's spiritually cleansed. And regeneration, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, a new creature, old things have passed away. Then he uses the word sanctified. It results in a new behavior, which it means sanctified. It means to set apart, made holy, transformed life always produces, which a, a new behavior always produces. Sin's domination is broken and replaced by a new pattern of obedience and holiness through no perfection, Though no perfection, but this is a new direction. Because Romans 6, 
listen to what it says in 6.17. But God be thanked that though you were the slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine of which you delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became the slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were the slaves of sin, you were free in regard of righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you now are ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your own fruit to holiness, the end of everlasting life. Do you notice that he said you are now the slaves of righteousness? And then he tells you that you were justified. The word justification refers to a new standing before God in which the Christian is clothed in Christ's righteousness. I watched a little bit of the, what's the movie everybody's raving about? Not, not, I watched a little bit of it on TV today because season four is fixing to come up. What is the, the, the who? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I can't hear a word you're all saying. Don't tell my wife, though. She'll make me start wearing my hearing aids again. But, uh, but the whole point, I watched that, and, I, and they showed a clip from season three where Jesus is sitting at the well, and he's talking to this Samaritan woman. And, man, I just thought to myself, what a great thing it would be just to sit with Jesus for a while. And let him just tell you all the things in your life. Tell you what his plans are you for. Man, what that would mean. In his death, the believer were put into, the righteousness of Jesus was put into the believer's account that he'd suffered for them so that the righteousness might be put in their account and would be blessed for it. Bible says in Romans 3, 26, to demonstrate at this present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who had faith in Jesus. It also says, well, we, we said this, that him who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God, Christ Jesus. In 1 Peter three eighteen, for Christ also suffered once for our sins and the just for the unjust that he might bring to us and bring part of death in the flesh but made part of the spirit. The Holy Spirit changes our life. Do you remember the old hymn? How many times did we sing this years ago? Oh, what a wonderful change in my life has been brought since Jesus came into my life. Remember that? And as a result, the child of God begins to love like the following. How does he begin to love? He begins to love Jesus. He begins to love Jesus. Before conversion, the sinner might hold Christ as a high esteem. But after conversion, he loves the Savior. The Bible says that whosoever believes that Jesus Christ is born of God and everyone who loves him, who, begot, who also loves him, who also begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Second thing, he loves the Bible. We should love God's word as the psalmist did in 119. And listen to what he said. 17 times he talks about how God's word means something to him. In verse in, in verse. Uh, uh, verse 24 your testimonies also delight in my counselors verse 40 behold I long for your precepts revive me in your righteousness 47 through 48 and I will delight myself in your commandments which I love my hands also will lift up to your commandments which I love and I will meditate upon your statutes he loves other Christians we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren 
But it also says in 1 John, what he loves his brother abides. He who, who, who knows that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He, he who does not love the brethren abides in death. And then, uh, verse, you know, then he, he loves his enemies. Matthew 5, 43. I'm, I'm just going to skip over some of this. He loves the souls of people like Paul. He too can cry out to the conversion of loved ones. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for Israel that they may be saved. That's Romans 10.1. And then 2 Corinthians 5.14, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge those that have died, all those who died. When we look at these people in our town that are doing some of the things they're doing, I got to ask the question, do we love them? Do we look at them the way Jesus did when he said, Father, they know not what they do, and they really don't? That's what we've got to do. Yeah, we've got to stand, take a strong stand, but we've got to love them. He loves, he also, he loves to talk to God, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in the heart of the Lord. That's what it says. Speaking to God in hymns, Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's the things a person loves. I close this way. There are two people that have something in common. One is Lee Strobel. I don't know where you remember who Lee Strobel was. He wrote all the books, The Case of Christ. And then there's the other one. The other guy was Josh McDowell. And Josh McDowell wrote the, wrote the book, Evidence That uh, Deserves a Verdict. Both of those guys were atheists. And they both set out on the same path because Lee Strobel's wife came home. And he said, man, I, I, he, 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 he was the guy, Lee Strobel was the guy that, uh, that uh, um, uncovered the memo for Ford with the Pinto. You remember that Pinto had a little back, had a little bumper here, and people were hitting the Pinto in the back. And when it was, it was exploding, people were dying. Ford knew this, but they and they had a memo that was supposed to go out to tell them to correct it, and they didn't do it, and they tried to hide it. Lee Strobel did that, and he won a Pulitzer Prize and all this kind of stuff. So his life was really set, money, everything, fame, whole thing, uh, and the whole nine yards. And then one day his wife came home and said, I think I'm going to start going to church. And he said, I just looked at her and said, well, I don't know why you need to do that, but I guess that's what you want to do, you know. So about two weeks later, she came back and told him, she said, well, she says, I'm going, to go, I'm going to go to church, but I'm going to go forward. I'm going to become a Christian. He said, I looked at my wife and I said to her, if you need to have that to, to basically authenticate your life, then that's up to you. And he said, I got angry. He said, up to that point, said, my, my kids would eat, when I'd come home, my kids would run from me. They didn't want anything to do with me. And he said also, said not only that, so he said, my home life was on the verge of just breaking. So my wife went, she got baptized and everything, but he said, I made up my mind what I was going to do. I was going to prove to her that Jesus Christ was a fake. So he went to his editor and he told him, he said simply, he said, I, what I'm going to do is I, I'm gonna, I want to do a report on the resurrection of Jesus and I'm going to prove that it was all fake and wrong. He traveled all over the world getting all this information. Guess what Lee Strobel's doing today? He's a minister. <laughs> Preaching in a church. 
And, and, and then you go to Josh McDowell, who you read the life story of Josh McDowell. He had an alcoholic for a father who used to beat his mother. He would try to pull his dad off his mother and keep him there. I mean, it was awful. They, his dad was a town drunk, the whole thing. And, but when he finally went to college, he finally got, got away from home and he went to college. He was sitting in college and he looked at all these people sitting in a, in a circle over here and they're all laughing and joking. And he looked at one of his buddies there and said, who's the other people? I said, that's, that's a bunch of Christians. You don't worry with them. He said, they're weird people. But he said there was a really good looking girl over there. And so he went over there and he, he just told her, he said, what are y'all doing? He said, so, 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 well, you can come and join if you want to. He said, I told him simply, I don't believe what y'all believe. And so, so anyway, through going to meetings and there, whatever, the next thing you know, he decided that he was going to prove them that Christianity wasn't real. Same thing. Traveled, went to Europe. I don't know why I talked to people. And he came back. Within two weeks, he gave his heart and soul to the Lord. That's what God's able to do in our lives if we'll trust him. Oh, in that verse of scripture, I think about when God says, he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. I believe with all my heart and all my soul, God is the one writer called him the hound of heaven. He will worry you to death until he gets you to the place that you totally surrender. Some people partially surrender, surrender. They have some area of their life they don't want to give to him. And that don't work. You got to come whole hog, as the old boy says. You got to come whole hog. So tonight we're going to have a verse of invitation. I don't know, you know, which are you? Are you?